0: Well, today's sermon continues in the book of Jonah. we second week of Jonah. If you missed last week, I encourage you to listen to that online or watch that. Today, we look at a passage that reminds us of this spiritual moment that we all encounter in one moment of time or throughout our lives, and that is a crossroads of faith. A fork in the road moment, going towards the things of God or hardening your heart even more and walking away. Jonah chapter one, uh, verses one and two, start off this way. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. All right, we looked at that last week. The next two words should catch our attention. It says, but Jonah. Verse three, but Jonah. How about you put your own name in there right out of the gate here? God commanded, uh, but Adam. You know, my wife, but Lynn, but Neil, but Trenton, but Maddie. Friends, uh, there, there are, uh, there are a, few, a few ways that you want your life characterized. This is not one of those statements that you want in your personal biography. So let's read this, verse three. But Jonah, what did he do? He rose, in the contrast here, God said, arise and go. He arose and fled. He rose to flee to Tarshish uh, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You know, this story of Jonah, in its entirety, like from chapter one to four, is a story of God's mercy. God's mercy on a very stubborn prophet, God's mercy on unaware sailors, and God's mercy on a very godless city. And in this moment, we see a little bit of the uh, behind the scenes, the, 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 the underworkings of what leads to these moments of mercy. Luke 6, verse 36 Jesus said, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. In God the Father's wise providence and love, he chose to show mercy to these people. These are the Assyrian people. This generation who lived in the city of Nineveh at this time, he chose them to be a vessel of his mercy and to demonstrate his love. And we're not told why these people were selected at this time. Why Jonah was sent, and why now? You could theorize. You know, perhaps a Ninevite once heard a story about Yahweh a long time ago and had since dismissed it. But now a circumstance has arisen, and this Ninevite is crying out, saying, "Yahweh, if you're real, the story I heard about you from King, about King David or whatever it may be, years ago, centuries ago, if you're real, would you save my people?" I don't know. They were so godless that most likely they were the kinds of people that were actually completely unaware of their need for a righteous atonement and God's mercy. And yet God, in his mercy, he stepped down. And it's a picture of us and what God has done for us today, in our lives today. Why did they need mercy? Well, this story shows God's heart for righteousness, morally right. Behavior. You know, we're mistaken if we think that God wants His creation to just have a society and rule in a way that is wicked and evil. These people, they were not Israel, right? They didn't carry God's covenant promises at all. Yet, God still found their wickedness so repulsive that He was going to punish them if they didn't stop. So, in His mercy, He sent a prophet to explain this and beg them to repent. And in many ways the story of Jonah is our story. I think in some ways you can see yourself as Jonah, but also let us see ourselves as the Ninevites in need of this kind of a message. We are the people of Nineveh. Our sin has lofted this stench into the heavens, so God sent his son to rectify that and to send his uh, son to be our atonement for eternal condemnation. Like Jonah, Jesus is the prophet who declared the wondrous works and truths of God. But Jesus is more than a prophet. He's also king and savior. And unlike Jonah, who was unwilling, Jesus was willing. Listen to these words in Philippians chapter two. Starting in verse five, it says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made, in human, not, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is our savior, he is unchanging. It's true for this time when Paul wrote this and it's true for us again today. Now, in order for these Ninevites to hear the message of God's mercy, he didn't write it in the sky and he didn't send it in a message in a bottle or something. He sent a messenger. And this is why Jonah was needed. God uses his people to be messengers of truth. Romans 10 says it this way, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they had never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Eventually, Jonah's message of hope would save this entire city. And we're going to read about that when we get to it near the end of our series. Right now, though, we get to pause for the outrageously fantastical side of this story. Jonah is told to go. He says no. Jonah was told to rise, go. No, Jonah, he arises and flees. Nineveh is over here. Jonah goes over here. I'm <laughs> Just the opposite direction. Doesn't even get close. Jonah bought a one-way ticket to the get me out of here ASAP train, right? I like Tony Evans' comment about this. I was listening to something from him on, on this a while back. And I still remember this comment. It was something like, when, when you're in God's will, God picks up the tab. But when you rebel against God, you have to pay the bill. And in the case of Jonah, it literally is this. So he bought his way. He bought his fare to get on this boat and go to the other place. One of the statements that should catch our attention in this snippet is, is verse 3. And it said two times, this one phrase. Away from the presence of the Lord presence of the Lord. You know, it's one of the saddest descriptions in all of Scripture, because God's presence is the greatest place we can be, oneness with our God, with our Creator. Friends, do you crave to be in God's presence? Do you set time aside daily to be in God's presence? Do you prioritize that, or do you run from that? Do you distract yourself with tasks that you have convinced yourself are of greater value or priority than abiding with your father last week we sang a song about God's presence it was along these lines I'm not going to sing it like Neil he and I we don't sing but the phrase is it's all I want and it's all I need we were singing that last week and I thought is it really is it really all we want and all we need in the case of Jonah he fled from God's presence Now let's remind ourselves, there's nowhere you can actually go to flee from God's presence. Psalm 139 is clear about this. It says this in verse seven and eight. Where can I go from your spirit? Well, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And it continues actually in that same chapter. This verse in in Psalm 139, this whole section, it's a great comfort to us when we do feel alone. Uh, it's a reminder for us. God is with us in that. If you feel lonely, God is right there. He sees you. You haven't, you haven't gone somewhere that he's not. But let also uh, lets us also remember this passage if we act like Jonah when we run and run. We run from God's presence and he's like, I beat you to it. You know, he's already there. He's with us the whole, the whole way. So you can try to escape God, but it won't work. And Jonah learned this in a very peculiar way that we'll l- learn more about next week and the following weeks. Well, this phrase of fleeing God's presence is really a play on words. It's a Hebrew idiom, right? It's this uh, language that they would use, this phrase they'd use back then describing a broken relationship with God. It reflects the same meaning that is described of Cain when he rebelled against the Lord. If you remember Cain and Abel, the two two brothers, Cain kills Abel. And Genesis 4, 16 says, Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So as this one professor, Alexander, as he wrote, he said, uh, by fleeing from the Lord's presence, Jonah announces emphatically his unwillingness to serve God. His action is nothing less than open rebellion against God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. You know, our relationship to God and his sovereignty is one that we tend to forget sometimes. Uh, We tend to think we're on the same plane. Yeah, we are friends of God. God. Uh, but let's not forget who he is and who we are. He is the Lord. We are the ones who will are surrendered and submit to him. Uh, it reminds me of uh, my children. Uh, I don't know why, but lately they have decided to push back against bedtime each night, which is kind of surprising because we go to bed every night. You know, It's like, all right, um, how, how many times do you want to keep doing this? But uh, it's like, all right, it's time to go to bed now. We're not going, what do you you mean? This is not a negotiation. (laughs) This is is happening. Your bodies will literally, you know, get too tired anyway, but this is not optional, we're going to bed. Anyway. God tells Jonah to go, Jonah says no. Well, let's consider why Jonah wanted to flee. What what are some of the reasons he might have said no? Okay, so he's called to be a prophet, and prophets lived quite, um, Exciting lives regarding all that they may endure. For instance, Jeremiah, while he was a preacher, he was thrown in a cistern there in the, in the community. Isaiah, traditionally, he was sawed in half as persecution. Ezekiel, when he was a preacher, he was challenged and, uh, to preach for 14 months. He had to eat food that was cooked over poop to prove a point in his sermons. Now that's a real lively illustration uh, in his case. And in fact, it was supposed to be human dung and he begged God, please, no. And so God said, all right, you can use cow dung instead. You can read about that yourself if you want in Ezekiel 4. And all these guys did it. They all did the work. We're not told that they all ran different directions and then got swallowed by a whale. No, only Jonah decides, yes, he is called to be a prophet and let us see why he might not have wanted to do it. Some of it might have related to the people's reputation of Nineveh. Nineveh is one of the greatest uh, greatest ancient cities. I've got this picture, uh, it's an artist's rendition of which is what Nineveh might have looked like. And you just, it's, it's, it's a wondrous, uh, well-known ancient city, it goes way back before this time period that we're reading about and continues after. After the life of Jonah, it became the, the capital for a small period of time they're in the nation of Assyria, Assyria is portrayed in all sorts of movies, and uh, their their battle tactics were fierce and intense. They invented the bat the battering ram. They were well known when they come to cities that the people in the cities would just say, "Just kill us!" or like, or just like they uh, they would plead for everything just for there be mercy shown, and it never was. Rather than burying the enemies, they would memorialize those enemies publicly. There's a whole list of things that they did. I'm not gonna read it all, but let's just say to the fullest extent that the, that the human cravings of wickedness can be there, they found ways to do that. And Jonah also knew God's character. He says this in chapter four, the end of Jonah, and verse two. Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So Jonah knows God's character. Jonah also knows the Assyrians' reputation. And yet, Jonah would rather flee and perhaps even die than give the Assyrians this message of God's mercy. I'm not sure if Jonah was discriminatory. It wouldn't surprise me in light of the, the, the prophecies of the people of uh, Assyria and what they were going to do to Israel. They were going to enslave them and turn them into captives. I'm not sure if Jonah wanted to avoid humiliation from other Jews because he'd be the one that would go give this message of hope to these people. And others might say, you know, in his community or his friend group back home, say, what are you doing? Going to the Assyrians. They don't deserve this. I'm not sure if Jonah wanted to avoid martyrdom. That's a, that's a possibility there for sure. You know, in modern times, if it's hard to kind of grasp, like, how, like, what would it have been like to have this sort of call? I liken it to if you had a call to go be a missionary to the Mexican cartels across the border. And you'd say, well that's that's uh, that sounds like a death wish, and those people are have, have done brutal things, even if you can like me remind yourself that many of these uh, these uh, men who've done these murderous things, they were once young boys who were uh, just playing soccer in these communities and had no other options in their eyes uh, due to just how these uh, Cities have slowly kind of become overtaken, and it's like, well, serve in this way or die. Uh, actually, in high school, I once did a mission trip to Juarez, and I, I, uh, I believe that you can't even do those trips anymore because of how intense it's gotten there. And so, I think that's a it's a helpful reminder for me as I think about the emotion of this and the news articles you occasionally read about what's going on down there. Half of you are in like these. Industries in which you're very aware of what's going on down there, and just all kind of stuff. It's like, okay, that's perhaps a similar sort of emotion Jonah would have felt here in this crossroads moment. God says, You have been called to this task. And he says, No. God wanted to show mercy to this people. Despite their hard shell, God had softened their hearts to be ready to respond with repentance and humility and holy fear to a mightier power than they were. You know, verse three could have started off this way. Therefore, Jonah went. Therefore, Jonah. That's what you'd wanna read. Instead, it says, but Jonah. This crossroads moment. Will Jonah be a therefore person or a but person? He chose the latter. How about you? Are you a therefore, Jonah? kind of person? Or a but Jonah person? You know, this was a test for Jonah, and it's a type that we all face, not only in key moments in life, but little moments throughout the day. I'd I'd say our, our faithfulness to those little moments to prepare us for those bigger ones. And so if you're like me, it's easier to think about those Bigger moments, I kind of forget what I do day by day as I compile it all together. But I can remember unique moments, maybe top five, top ten. If I really think hard and talk to my wife about certain times in our lives where we said, "When, when has God put us at a crossroads moment where we had the we had the the call to arise and go? Sometimes it's even the call to stand up and stand firm, or other times it's been Like that that has been the call. And then there's that same moment, this rush of fear or uncertainty or doubt. God gives the instructions. How do we respond? And let me clarify this. God gives us instructions. And when he gives it, he also reminds us, he gives us the resources. He gives us the ability. He gives us the strength. He opens the doors. He puts a book called the Bible of promises in your hand and then he says go and then how do you respond he gives us all the the whole treasure chest how do we respond no i can't i won't i'm unsure we say god what if i'm wrong and he whispers you're not god what if it fails he says it won't god what if i die He said, well you've already died to self you know what excuse do you tend to make in those moments of life? I think it's a helpful exercise. Uh, are there any similar excuses, you know, kind of in the last 10 years or so that you've tend to make? If it's the same one with various tests, you got to dig into that. Other times it's different tests and different excuses depending on the flavor of the month or the year. Sometimes these crossroad moments are personal ones. Sometimes they're community ones, uh, sometimes they're national ones, and uh, a big prayer of mine is for a national crossroads moment of repentance. But friends, last week we experienced a crossroads moment as a church community when we decided to purchase that extra land. Uh, God had provided an opportunity, he had provided resources for us, he has given us a track record of moments to build up to a moment like this, And we faced a crossroads. In fact, I believe it was a test. It was our own version of Jonah 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. A small test. Would we trust God and walk in faith or trust our fears and uncertainties and doubts? And in fact, I was genuinely unsure uh, what path we would choose as a collective body. It's one thing for a handful of people to kind of come together and lean on each other. It's a whole nother thing when you just kind of open it up to our whole church family. Uh, we invited and requested and urged you to be prayerful, to uh, to fast and pray during the week as the Lord may lead you to, to look for verses, to fill your heart with worship. But you know, sometimes you just roll out of bed and show up to church and you're in a bad mood. You know, I don't know. What happens when you bring everyone together? And knowing, particularly, the track record in scripture of when you get people together to say, do you wanna go down a, a pioneering path with no parachute or do you wanna stay put? Well, if you look at the people of Israel, when they looked at the land of Canaan and the two spies came back and said, let's do it and the 10 came back and said, no way, everybody was struck with fear, to their core, I mean, to their bones. It's like, all right, well, I don't know what Sunday is gonna look like. Well, if you didn't see it on our website that we posted this last week, uh, last Sunday, after the service, we posted that uh, the church overwhelmingly decided to purchase the land. I did wanna tell you all that. If you didn't see that, yeah, you can clap for that. It's exciting. It's kind of a unique overlay between the message and also this our unique moment as a church. The results were 166 yes, eight no, and three maybe. And I'll tell you, my heart has just been filled with such a sense of joy as the pastor of this community here, this church family. Because what a privilege it is to pastor people who are a surrendered people, like surrender to the will of God, saying, God, whatever you want, I want in on that. I may not have answers, I may not know the direction, I don't know what things will look like, but I want what you want. It's a rare trait among churches these days, and uh, last week we had our own little crossroads moment. In fact, I I wanted to tell you this, but I wanted to wait until after the fact. Last week's vote, uh, I'm convinced of this, it wasn't a vote for land, it was a vote for your heart. and The posture of your heart, what God can do with a collective group of Christians who want to not only know him but actually be used by him that's that's quite a force to be reckoned with in the in this spiritual realm so um, I, I do believe at this point <clears throat> we we passed that test we were given last week. And it won't be our last. If you read the book of Exodus, you read even though know, they get to the Red Sea and they face a test like, you know, right away. Another one, hey, we're gonna face more. But I wanna exhort us to have this heart posture of yes to whatever God wants. And we do that as a church family. We wanna strive for that. But that begins with you as an individual or as a, as a family having a posture of yes to the things of God, not just uh, not just these unique moments as a church family. So a crossroads. You know, what crossroads are you facing now? Before our church started in 2016, it was, it was September 2015, so we're coming up on it. I have it in my journal, uh, if I, I dig it, I don't know where that thing landed, but uh, the first or second week of September, 2015, so eight years ago now, I was praying about what to do with this church and what God wanted me to do in my role. And I bring this up, I tell this story, if you're saying, I'm at a crossroads, I'm just not sure what to do. Here's your very first step. You don't ask God, what do you want me to do? Your first step is to say, God, no matter what you ask slash tell me to do, my answer is gonna be yes. You get your heart in the right posture and then, and then you ask the question. And so in that case, I say, like, God, I don't know what you want me to do. If we plant a church, holy cow, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. Um, if I stay doing what I'm doing or move on somewhere else, like, um, I don't know what that looks like either. Um, both kind of directions had their excitements and their, and their uh, uncertainties. So I'll say, Lord, whatever you say, I'm just gonna say yes. And I distinctly remember that evening just saying, so, okay, I'm finally building up. Like, I just took a lot of time to worship and pray and then have my heart say, I actually am saying yes. And then kind of revisit that. Like, I'm not deceiving myself. I'm genuinely gonna say yes, even though I haven't really done this exercise in a long time. And here I am, I'm gonna say yes to this big moment. So, Lord, what do you want? And He was, plant it. Are you sure? God, he said, plant it. All right. So God said to plant it, and then that's what we began to do. So I share that. If you're in a, in a crossroads spot, if you're kind of like Jonah here where you're being prompted to do or go or say something, I, I think that the first step for you is to remember um, the, the, uh, who God is and to posture your heart to say yes. In this story here, Jonah, he faced a test, and at first he failed it, And it's again a great picture of us in so many ways and God's mercy, and we will get into that in future weeks. But for our time right now, what crossroads are you facing? And will you pass it or will you have to retake that test? Because if you don't pass it, you are going to take it again, even if you got to get swallowed by a whale. When God calls, what will the next words be to describe your response? Is it but or is it therefore? My prayer for you is that God will fill you with a heart of courage and trust to be a therefore person, and collectively we get to do that even as a church. This moment of time, therefore, this is what we're going to do. Let me pray for us, Heavenly Father. We look at this passage, and we have still haven't gotten to the you know the juicy parts of the story of, of Jonah. But I pray, Lord, that you would use this simple phrase here of. But, Jonah, to just capture our attention. To, to, to not, you know, the enemy's probably gonna broadly shame us and just make us think like that's our whole lives, but that's not the case. God, you are really good at pinpointing in what way, could have been this weekend, it could be something that's just been stirring on us and laying on us for a while, and we have been responding like Jonah, just resisting or, or outright refusing. And Lord, I pray that you would Convict us of that, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of that, and that we would take that to the cross, we would repent, and we would find ourselves fully surrendered to your ways. And that we'd be the kinds of people, as individuals or as a family, and then wonderfully as a church family, we would be marked as people who are saying, like, this is what God is calling us to do, therefore we responded. Therefore we arose and went after the things of God, not arose and fled from the will of God. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, well, in a moment, we're gonna uh, conclude with worship. Before we do and before you leave, uh, we have a little testimony with this, too. Maddie, would you share with us what God's been doing?
1: This is funny. So I don't, I don't often get nervous when I do stuff like this, but today, today is a little bit different. Um, and... I wanted to, I really wanted to share something with you all, with the church as a whole. And this morning I realized also that for some of you this is gonna come across as completely random, right? Like, if this is your second week at Legacy, you haven't even seen me here, ever. Um, but my name is Maddie, I'm the worship pastor. So I, I, I've i been here since the church started. You know, another, another thing we did, you know, somewhere around September of 2015 was sit down and talk about if if my wife and I would come to this church and, and be a part of the team to help launch it. So, so we did. Uh, so I've been here since the church started. Um, and I tell you that not, to, not to, to brag about it or to talk about how long I've been here, but to say I never wanted to be in ministry. I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor or wanting to work at a church or wanting to do anything remotely related to that. And as I got older, I wanted to play my guitar and sing, and I wanted to make a lot of money doing it. That was what I wanted, right? That was what my heart wanted more than just about anything. But if you've heard me any time in the last few months, I think that every time I preach, I've used Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Um, and God's been working on that, and it's so appropriate that we talk about this um, during the, the Jonah series, and don't worry, I, I'm getting to, I'll get to the point here in just a minute, but before I do, I wanted to share some scripture with you. The first one is Hebrews four twelve. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then we we'll move to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. You guys know this one. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. Stepping back into Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's just a few, a few scriptures that really speak to me at this moment. And this is the reason why. When I, when I came back to this area, I got involved in churches, but I got involved in churches to be a part of the worship band so that I could play music, it wasn't to make money or it wasn't to do anything like that, but it was combining church and it was combining something that I love to do. And I didn't think about it much beyond that. And as I kept going, God was doing, God had different ideas than I had. I started out playing in a band and then leading a band as a volunteer and then leading a band as a paid member of the staff on a very small level and then moving to a different church, volunteering in the band, leading the band at a campus, and then that turning into its own church and being part of the staff and being a part-time worship leader, turning into a full-time worship leader and then starting to call the position of worship pastor, which comes with an entirely different set of of assumptions and a different set of meaning for what the role is. In all this time, it was never my intention, but I, I sort of look at it this way. If you've ever been bowling, When you take a kid like to a birthday party, sometimes the bowling alley will put those little things in the gutters so that the kids can't roll a gutter ball, right? So you roll the ball down and it bounces and then it bounces to the other side and it bounces to the other side. There are times in my walk, and they weren't even that long ago, it was when Legacy started, that I had intended to entirely leave the area and walk away from the church. Not that I wouldn't have been a Christian and not that I wouldn't have been a church, but to be in ministry was never in my plan, even as little as eight years ago. But again, God had a different idea. See, He was probably saying, But Maddie, but I didn't hear it because I was like, But God, you know, this is what I want to do. But I decided to, to lean into the role because I realized that anybody who's up here doing music, even if, you're, even if you're singing, you're playing a guitar, you're playing a keyboard, whatever it is you're doing, you're still playing an important role in, in sharing scripture and sharing doctrine and sharing the word of God with the congregation, even if it's through song. So I decided, I went to seminary, I got a Master of Divinity degree um, and started to take the Bible more seriously. And I'll say, making a long story short, even though it's already kind of a long story, um, The the weight of what scripture is and what scripture says became so prominent in my life and in my mind, I couldn't not share it. And I couldn't not talk about it. And that's why every time I preach, I tell you all to read your Bible because that's the only way That's the only way you're gonna understand what God has for your life. We all wanna hear from God, right? We want to know, God, should I take this job? God, should I marry this person? God, should I do this? God, should I do that? I've never heard that audibly in my life. I'll stand up and say that before you right now, right? But I read scripture. If you wanna know what God has for your life, you have to be in your Bible. You have to be in here, because while you won't get a specific answer to what you wanna do, if you make decisions that align with what God says you should do in here, you'll make the right decision and you'll continue down the path that God has for you. So my purpose here today is not to, not to preach a second sermon after what Adam just did, even though, even though I kinda did. It's, it's to share something with you. For those of you that have been here for a long time, um, you'd notice that I've been absent quite a bit lately and a big part of that has been my, my duties as an army chaplain. For some reason, things have been a little bit busier lately. But another part of that is, and I, I, sometimes I question how much of this to share, but I'm just gonna put a lot of this out there so that you all know. And it's so that you can specifically be praying for me and praying for my family. Um, I started helping a church called Mount Zion Community Church in Madison uh, back in May, I led worship for their first service. They're a church that left the Methodist Church and went independent, so they're, they're basically a church plan at this point. And then a month and a half or so later, I went up there to preach. And we'll leave out a lot of steps of the story, but I think I need to share at this point that I'm in the process of of being considered to be the pastor of their church. So next weekend, I, I'm preaching there as a candidate. So I have to preach for this church twice, and after the second time they'll do a Q&A, and then a week after that they'll vote as to whether or not they would like to call me as their pastor. And the reason I waited so long to share this is last week while you all were voting on whether or not we should purchase this building and this property, which is amazing, that church was voting on whether or not they wanted me to come in and actually preach as a candidate in their church. So we just found that out recently, but um, I never wanted to be in ministry. And then I never wanted to be a pastor. But I could not ignore what was in the word. Um, And Adam will tell you, at one point I came to him and said, you know what, I would like to preach more because there's nothing more important than sharing the message of the word of God. And then shortly after that, I came to him and I said, I think, I think someday, maybe, I might possibly be a pastor of a church. And, and it sort of happened um, a little faster than I expected, but it, it also looks like a door that God opened. And it's really important for me also to tell you that I'm up here sharing this with you uh, by myself, but, this, the impact of this is so huge that it affects not just me, it affects my wife, and it affects my children as well, because like, this, is, this is an entire family decision. My wife's name is Amy, and my children are Parker, Avery, and Mallory. You might, you might know them. They're back there. So um, having shared that, I, I would just ask specifically for prayer for this, this transition, this situation. It's not a